You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles hunting podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and on this podcast, you will find tons of relevant information that will help you become more successful in the field. You'll hear product information directly from the manufacturer and success stories from guys and gals just like you. Sit back, relax, and pour a stiff drink. This episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast starts right now. All right, everybody. Happy Monday and welcome back to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. Enter the discount code nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers and you can receive $20 off your trail cam purchase. Now, this weekend was the first sunshine weekend in uh, the state of Iowa. We had two days back-to-back, Saturday and Sunday, of some good sunshine, and it felt great to get outside. And although it was muddy and wet, that's better than being cooped up inside, and uh, the kids got muddy and they got wet, but hell, who cares? Because that means they just went to bed early because they played really hard outside. Now, one of the things from this weekend that really stood out for me was a shed hunt that I took my daughter and oldest son, Ava and Mac, out. And um, I knew there was a good chance we weren't going to find any sheds. So I convinced them. I said, all right, guys, who wants to go shed hunting with dad? They both said, okay, let's go. My wife stayed home with my youngest. And I took two old shed antlers that I had laying around. Nothing big, you know, nothing, you know, if they got damaged or if they you know for some reason I dropped them and we couldn't find them again you know not a big deal so what we did is I had planned on going and walking this cornfield and if we didn't find any sheds I was going to drop them down right so knowing that my son Mac doesn't have very much patience uh he, you know, I, I I wanted to get him to find one right off the bat so it would spark his enthusiasm, you know, to make it down the other, to the other part of the field and turn around and come back to the truck. So <laughs> I had to find a way to put these two shed antlers in my coat 
and dropped them on the ground while my kids weren't looking. But the hard part was one of them was always looking at me. So I had to do things like, oh my God, look at that bald eagle, when really there was not a bald eagle there or some kind of animal or a rabbit or whatever to try to get them to look. And they'd look real quick. And then as I'm trying to finagle a shed antler out of my jacket, they would look back at me like, Dad, what are you talking about? We didn't we didn't see it. You know, we didn't see an eagle. Dad, you're crazy. Dad, come here. Come here. And they wouldn't get away from me. So so finally, I, I dropped my first shed antler on the ground. And I tried to get my daughter to find it first. And this is no joke. She was walking by it, kicked it with her boot, didn't see it. I had, I said, okay, you walk straight down this this row and do not, you know, don't mess with it. Just walk straight down this row, keep your head down. And I swear to God, she picked up her head right as she came up on this shed, kicked it with her boot, looked in the sky at some birds flying over. I think some geese were honking. <laughs> Finally, she walked off. Uh, and I tried to get my son to come around and I'm, I said, guys, there's gotta be, you know, there's gotta be a shed antler in this grass, in this grass. Come on guys. Look, look, dad, there's no shed antlers here. And every time that I dropped these antlers, they laid tines down. So, so it was a little bit more difficult for them to find them. So eventually, you know, I'm steering my son back and forth and he walks right up at, and I could just, this is the cool thing about this whole thing. Even though it was staged, they didn't know that. And you should see this fire, this like explosion. He got this huge smile on his face. He's like, dad, I found one. Dad. Oh. He got jacked up. He picked it up. And uh, I got a couple cool pictures of him holding it. And uh, he was just like, Dad, I found a shed. Dad, I found this shed. And my daughter's like, I don't like, I don't know if, how many of you guys have kids, but there is this big sibling rivalry, right? All the way down to the color of plate that they have, right? If one of them gets a blue plate, the other one has to have a blue plate. Or they want that blue plate. They can't have the, the off blue plate. They have to have the blue plate, right? So... There's a lot of competition. So that sets my daughter off into like overdrive. So she puts her head down. She's walking back and forth. Uh, but she doesn't get too far away from me till she turns and comes back. And I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to get over this little berm to where I can finagle again another shed out of my jacket and drop, drop it down on the ground. So I finally get to this timber edge, right? And... I, I get it out of my coat and I'm like, okay, Ava, here's the game plan. Do you want to find a shed? I think this is a really good area. You need to stand right here where the cornfield meets the woods and you need to walk up this grass strip. Do you understand? Yeah, dad, I get it. I get it. So she walks up this grass strip and this grass strip's like 50 feet long, right? Any any adult would be able to find it in a heartbeat, right? I, I, I basically had it placed right out, right out in the wide open. Right right when she gets to the shed antler, she, ta- she like takes this hard left turn into the cornfield and starts walking back. I'm like, no, Ava, you got to walk. Dad, we already walked this. There's no sheds here, blah, 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 blah. I'm just like, Ava, girl, if you want to find a shed, you got to listen to your dad because I found, you know... And this this took 10 minutes for her to find this shed. And I was starting to get frustrated, right? I was like, Ava, keep your head down and 
look and find, you know, like look on the ground because that's where the shed antlers are. And I started getting frustrated with it. And finally she, she found it after kicking it with her boot again. And she stopped, she looked down and she's, Oh my God, dad, she got jacked up as well. And, um, it was, it was the moment like that where sometimes, you know, I could have taken that, I could have taken that opportunity to go shed hunt myself, right? Take four hours out of the morning, go shed hunt. My wife was cool with it, but instead I decided to turn that four hours into basically one hour, right? Because after a while, the kids, right, there was, there were thorns. They didn't want to walk through the thorns. I knew that, uh, it was starting to get muddy and they would have, it would have been difficult for them to maneuver in a lot of this mud and they were getting tired quicker. Right. So I sacrificed, you know, me going out and turning around and making that into a, uh, you know, I made it into a day about them. And I think in order to get kids to really get involved in the outdoors, you have to sacrifice, especially if you're hardcore like me. And that's one thing as a, an adult that I've realized that I, that's something that I do really bad. And that is, uh, um, I tend to focus on myself a lot, you know, like, yeah, I get the rut. Yeah. I, I get, you know, going on my elk trip or whatever, but something like this, you know, I love shed hunting. Don't get me wrong, but I feel it's something that I can do with my kids that will get them excited to, t- you know, to get, take that next step. Right. I mean, we saw birds that they'd never seen before. You know, I taught, I, I taught them what a blue jay sounds like and what a blue jay looks like. And look at the geese flying in the air. And this is what a deer print looks like. And this is what deer poop looks like. And here's a turkey track and all these things that they, they got excited about, which just is one step closer for them to get excited about the outdoors overall. Right now, clearly they didn't have the stamina to stay out all day and do this all day. So it was a quick trip. We got it done. They found some sheds and they were happy about it, right? They showed their grandparents, they showed their mom. And now those two sheds are sitting on a shelf in our living room. And it's something that uh, means a lot to me. And I know that uh, they're excited to go out and do stuff again, like go fishing and mushroom hunting. And uh, I think this year is going to be my daughter's first year doing, uh, to sit in the turkey blind with me so we'll see what happens there but uh just a really good weekend with the kids and uh i'm you know i just i i hope they find the outdoors as exciting as i do uh and i because you know once they get old enough to really get out there and spend some real time in the outdoors i would love for my hunting buddies to be my children right so that's a long intro right and today we are joined by Fred Doherty of Wasp Archery. Now, um, I had a conversation with Fred at the Archery Trade Association, the ATA show this year, and he's trying to talk me into another one of their heads. And uh, I, I'm really happy with the the head I was using. And he's so we have a little chit chat, a little uh, a friendly banter about why he's trying to get me to uh, cross over to a different head. Uh, he talks about their new broadhead, the Havilon, and their partnership with Havilon Knives. And uh, it's just a really cool, awesome podcast about design, innovation, the the company, the broadhead. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't be a Nine Finger Chronicles podcast without BS, right? So this whole podcast, the rest of this podcast is kind of dedicated to wasp archery. And if you want to find out more information about wasp archery, you need to go visit 
wasparchery.com. Check out all their broadheads. Man, I've been using their broadheads for years. Uh, I love the Boss 4-Blade. I've killed lots of deer with the jackhammers back in the day. And um, it's a Made in America company, and it's just a kick-ass company. It's a kick-ass product, and excellent customer service, right? You got a problem, you call them, they fix it. That's customer service. So that is the intro and uh, that is the end of the intro. So let's just get into today's podcast with Fred Doherty of Wasp. Mr. Fred Doherty, welcome back to the show, my friend. Hey, thanks, Dan. It's good to be here. Good to talk to you and talk to your listeners. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this conversation because uh, I don't think we got to finish this conversation uh, at the ATA show. And um, uh, I'm glad you made it back because I saw, as we were sitting at the ATA show, we were talking about the new broadhead and some of the other things that you wanted to discuss and talk to me about uh, broadheads and stuff. And I could see this excitement in, in your eye, which in turn got me excited. And then uh, we had to do this meeting uh, and uh, we never got to finish that, uh, finish that conversation. So I'm glad you had the time to hop on today. But uh, before we get into all that stuff, uh, how was your, how was your 2018 season, man? Oh, could we talk about almost anything else? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, seriously, um, it was not the greatest. Um, I did not get the time in the field that, that I typically get. Um, I had um, archery season. I, I did shoot a buck in, in uh, New York State. I, I passed up a couple of Pennsylvania, um, sm- just small bucks. We, don't, we just don't grow them big here and anymore. I just, I just hate to shoot the, <laughs> you know, the, the barely legal ones. But right. um, I did take a, a halfway decent buck in New York. Um, I had was invited on a hunt in Kansas. Uh, it was an early season muzzleloader hunt, and uh, it's embarrassing. Long story short, I had a, I had a hang fire, a misfire, and then and then a flat out miss. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> that trip was a was a total bust. So we're looking onward and upward to this year. <laughs> huh? Let's put it that way. <laughs> hey, I tell you what, man, that happens. Uh, I've definitely been there. Where I mean, actually, earlier this morning. When I was talking with another guy on the pod on a podcast, uh, he talked to me about how he missed a hundred and ninety inch buck Ugh. two times Ugh. in the same stand. So he ends up this buck comes through, he shoots over his back, and then he somehow gets another shot at this buck and misses again. So it was <laughs> I, I may have I would give up hunting, I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> that's the guy right. I have to quit. Right. And that's a, that's another thing, like all these people say, hey, man, I want to work in the hunting industry. I want to work in the hunting industry. And then you work in the hunting industry, and then you don't hunt as much as you did. Exactly. <laughs> you, never, you don't get out in the field like you want to. Cool. Well, I tell you what, man. Um, yeah, 2019 is probably closer than what we really want it to be at this point. Actually, I'm going. I'm headed to Texas in exactly a week from now. Uh, I got invited down there on a, uh, a free-range access hunt. Oh, nice. Uh, and hopefully some hogs will be involved, too. So we'll, let's just see how that goes. We're going to take the uh, take the new Havilon head down there and uh, put it through its paces a little bit and see what we can do. Nice. Well, I tell you what, that's a perfect mm. transition because uh, that's part of what I wanted to talk about today was this new broadhead, uh, this new broadhead. And part of our conversation at the ATA show was me telling you how much I love the Boss 4-Blade, 
right? And that I, I'm, yep. I'm never going to switch. I don't ever want to switch. And now here you are telling me, you know, hey, Dan, you got to give this broadhead a try because it's really cool and uh, all these, you know, new little things about it. So the first thing I want to know is how did this, this uh, I guess, collaboration between Wasp and Havilon start? Well, it's it's one of those things. It's like um, how can I explain it? So, so the people the people at, at Havilon, they they go to a totally different kind of show than 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 sometimes we do. I mean, they they actually have they have stuff that's in the sewing industry, scissors and yeah, knives and things that are used for sewing. Things I don't understand, but um, and wherever they go, they 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 claim they they told us that people come to them and say, "You guys should make a broadhead. You got the sharpest knives in the world." Uh, you guys should make broadheads. Um, and I don't know if they approached anyone else or not. Uh, we got a call, and I think, if truth be known, I think a good fellow by the name of Greg Ritz um, had something to do with putting it together yeah. and putting us in touch with one another. Because um, he's, he's a super guy. He shoots for us, and he's, you know, he's, just, he's just top of the world. I mean, I just love the guy. But... Um, and he's all about wasp. I mean, he just loves wasp broadheads. Yeah. But um, long story short, you know, they contacted us. They came out here to visit us uh, in central Pennsylvania. And um, we had a meeting with, you know, with uh, Zach and his dad and Guy Weaver and Mickey was here and everything. And um, we said, yeah, sure, let's look at that. <clears throat> well, one of the, excuse me, one of the first things, you know, became apparent. They, they wanted to, of course, use use their blade. Actually, been perfect to use something out of one of their replaceable blade knives or you know, knife blades or something like that. Um, and, you know, we all kind of like at the table were looking at each other because intuitively we, we just knew, you you know, you can't you can't have a thin, thin blade like that on a broad. It's just not going to hold up. Right. Um, so we, we couldn't actually do what Havilon wanted to do. Um, and so we started looking at, okay, well, what can we do? What can we do to, to work together and collaborate on this thing um, we both knew intuitively that this had not been done before in, in the broadhead yeah, industry, yeah. Or, or maybe in the hunting industry, where we're two, you know, two, you know, well-known, uh, well-respected companies come together like this and and form a union. Um, so we we worked on it. We went back and forth on on what it should look like and what the blade should look like, and you know, um, how it, it obviously had to be super sharp. Um, but again, we we knew it. You know, you it, you can't be it can't be scalpel sharp, if you will, uh, or, or thin as, as a scalpel and as sharp as a scalpel. It can be scalpel sharp, uh, but it can't be that thin material because it's not going to hold up at three, 400 feet per second. It's not, you know, surgeons don't swing their scalpels at 400 <laughs> feet per second. <laughs> and they certainly don't try to penetrate bone with them. So, right. you know, there's, there's a lot of considerations had to be made and going back and forth. And, Oh my gosh! We went back and forth and shared designs several times. We went we went to their home office. They came back here. And um, long story short, it just we we finally kept honing it down. No pun intended. <laughs> until we got the uh, the edge that we wanted and the, and the design and the look that we wanted. Um, and we we did it in special packaging. We're using a a premium grade aluminum. Uh, it's it's an aerospace grade aluminum um, that is it is super strong. Um, it's lighter. We were able to take some of that weight that we saved and actually make a blade that's 35,000 thick, um, which is awesome. Um, a lot of guys are always looking for something a little bit, you know, thicker blade. Um, it, as it worked out, it wasn't intended. It's no, it's no great design trick, but we, 
we actually stamped the, the Havilon logo into the blade itself as part of the vent um, to give them some recognition and, and uh, notoriety, and it kind of makes it stand out. It's not something that's not been done before. Um, and it, it, it flies true. It, it's very, very strong. Um, it looks beautiful. It's a, for those that haven't seen it yet, it's a, it's a very bright orange ferrule uh, with all stainless steel components. Um, you know, the blades and, that, of course, we had to incorporate the wasp uh, stainless steel trocar tip because uh, we there's just nothing like that that tip. And you, you probably heard me say this before, but, you know, when you align that trocar tip with the blades, it's just so much more penetrating power. Um, and it, it just ended up being a great head. And you were there at ATA. The reason I looked excited is because it was unbelievable, the response from from the dealers that came through that show. Um, we, we made a giant broadhead. The thing probably stands, you saw, two two feet tall, yeah. uh, just the head itself on a, on a spinning pedestal. Um, people were coming by and having their pictures taken next to it and so forth. It, just, it was really exciting. It, it, yeah. it just drew in a lot of uh, energy to our booth, let's say. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I think I... I was one of those. I, I felt guilty to one of those um, uh, social media heads where all I saw was Wasp's new broadhead, and I didn't look at it right away because I think I probably had a kid looking in the background, like yelling in the background. And then I get, I finally get to reading at it, and I'm like, it makes sense, right? I mean, you got a a premium company that's Wasp in the broadhead game. You got a premium brand in the. Uh, you know, in the knife game and just, I'm, to be honest, I'm surprised no one has done it before. Yeah. We, we felt the same way. I, I, I can assure you, and I, I'm, I always love being first anyway, but I, I can yeah. assure you somebody will, will do it next. Yeah. Next year, there will be a tie in with some other knife company, uh, <laughs> which is fine. You know, it's, what, what is that? Imitation is the greatest form of flattery or something That's like right. that. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Cool. So, so how many designs did you guys have to go through before, oh. like, because you mentioned you bounced it back and forth between each other. Um, you know, obviously the end result was a broadhead, so I take it, I mean, they may have wanted some things, but you guys have to have a broadhead that performs at the end of the day, right? Yeah, and you know what? They they signed on to that immediately, Dan. They yeah. they they knew exactly they because they, they I mean they sort of like pushed it to us and said, "Look, you're the broadhead people. You know about this stuff. You know we don't. Um, we just feel like it's a it's a good uh, collaborative effort. Um, and but we're going to let you go ahead. So so basically, we did much of the design work and then sent it back to them for approvals, saying that you know does this meet your specifications? Does this meet your uh, you know your, the look that you want, or the toughness, and or the the reputation that you're willing to stand behind. Um, but how how many? I mean, you know, this people don't understand when you do this kind of stuff. It's it's literally dozens of iterations yeah. uh, until you hone in on the one that you really really want. Yeah. Um, and then it's and then it's everybody agreeing. And you know, anytime you get, you know you get six or eight people in a room, there's always going to be that one person that says, "Well, yeah, maybe we could do this." You know. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, we looked at a lot of different things. We were gonna, we were gonna laser etch the blades at one point, um, and actually put. Because uh, if you ever look at the Havilon logo, it's it's a, it's an elongated V, and then there's a line beside it. Yeah. Um, and yeah. we were gonna laser etch that in a color and and do some other stuff. And then you know we quickly realized, hey, that's a lot of money that the consumer doesn't need to spend. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just to make it look cool. 
Look, yeah. I mean, a broadhead that has to has to have some appeal, but let's face it, we don't really care what it looks like as long as it does what it's supposed to do. Um, so we back and forth like that uh, at least a dozen times. Right. So let me ask you, compared to the blade on the broadhead and the the blade on the Havilon knife, is there any similarities? Well, there's there's there are and there and, and the, but then again there aren't. I've already talked about you know the thickness. Yeah. Um, a broadhead blade has to be thicker, um, and we're of the belief, and I, th- I think most archers would agree, uh, thicker is better. I mean, it's 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 because you want it to be tough. You want it to be able to slam into a, you know, a rib on a moose or something like that, and not not have a uh, not not have, worry about it breaking or, you know, bending apart or bending over or anything like that. Um, so. It, it really has to do with the final, final edge that's put on it is where we where we really relied on Havilon to to show us exactly what they wanted there, and it's it's kind of like one of those proprietary things. We're not going to talk a whole lot about it. Yeah. Um, we could talk about the aluminum. I can tell you what grade it is. It's not a secret. It's it's stuff that you know other people have used it before, um, but it's it's cool. It, it's cool looking, um, but at the same time, it's all about the edge and what the broadhead can and can't do when it when it hits something hard or or goes through you know vitals and 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 cuts the way it's supposed to cut gotcha all right so now here's one of those because at the at the show you're like dan i think you need to shoot the Havilon this year and i'm i'm the guy who if something works for me i like to stick with it right and for the last three years i've been using the boss four blade and it has performed extremely well, especially uh, this year where um, the shot didn't end up how I wanted it to. But because of my arrow setup and the fixed blade broadhead, I got a ton of penetration, with, which ultimately killed the animal. But what, I'm asking your opinion now. Why do you think I should give the Havilon a try over my current, uh, my, the current love of my life, the Boss 4 blade? Because it's new, Dan. It's new. You got to try what's new. <laughs> no, I mean, hey, listen. I, I I I feel these calls all the time, and I'm I'm the first guy to say that if you're having tremendous success with your setup and the broadhead, and you like it and you love it, hey, stick with it. Yeah. There are there are people there are people that tell me, you know, like for instance, our jackhammer mechanic. There are people that tell me they would never switch. I don't care what you come out with. I'm not switching. You could put a grenade on the end of my arm. I love my jackhammers. Uh, and then there's other people that, and you probably know from being at the shows, the, the the ATA show especially, but any dealer show, it's all about what's new. What do you have that's new? Right. Um, and somebody, when they walk by your booth, these, these these dealers and them, you know, big people that represent big box stores and so forth, saying what's new, because new sells. Everybody wants to try something new. Um, so yeah, I mean, is, is it is it better than what you're already shooting? Um, as far as is it going to kill more deer, it kind of depends on you, I guess. <laughs> if you're going to make good shots and you're going to, you know, hit them where you're supposed to hit them. Um, but hey, it's, it's, we always, we always strive to come out with something better. Um, we feel the, um, the aerospace grade aluminum is better. We feel the Havilon edge technology is better. Um, but you know, is it, is it a game changer? Is it going to be a thousand times better than what you're shooting? Of course not. Other than the the Havilon, was there any new innovation design or broadheads that was uh, released this year? Oh come on, man! You're killing me. It took us two years to come up with that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, seriously, I, I, it's, it's a good question, it's, and I, and I'm, I'm happy to answer it. But here's the thing: 
every year, as I, as I said earlier, everybody wants to know what's new. Right. And in the broadhead market, it's tough. I mean, you know, let's face it. They're all pointy. They're all sharp. I mean, that's that's what we do. I mean, I, I can't I can't find fault in too many other broadheads. There, there's some junk out there, let's face it. But we all try to innovate and try to, you know, put our best foot forward and, and come up with the best ideas we possibly can. Um, but it's it's getting down to that point where it's already all been invented and it's kind of hard. You, you've, you've seen some of it. I mean, a couple couple years ago, I, I think might have been in Kentucky where they came out with that thing that it has like a, a, a shell casing on the end of it. So it hits, you know, you shoot the arrow and then when it hits the animal, a, a bullet explodes or something. It's <laughs> like, come on. You know? Yeah, I've seen people that. Are, yeah, they're reaching too far. You know, it's, yeah. it's like it's, they're trying too hard. If it if it's coming down to that, um, I think we've, we've lost something somewhere. Yeah, and but, I'm, I'm yeah. Kind of... So I mean, it's we're always innovating. We're always trying something new. Uh, I think what you're going to see next from Wasp, of course, you know, Havilon on a 125. That that's going to be a no-brainer. That that has to be done. Yep. Um, and so that'll surely be ready for hunting season. Um, a uh, we're we're we've you know in in conjunction with the Havilon effort. Uh, we've been working hard on a a high speed mechanical uh, to try to beat that problem. Like I said, yeah. bows are so much faster than they used to be, and um, and if, if you like, we can talk about that for a minute because it's kind of a a soapbox that I've been on for quite a while. That you know, as as bow speeds have really doubled in the past 25 years, a um, hundred grain broadhead still seems to be the holy grail. Right, and. I've, I've been trying to counsel and coach and, and, and encourage people to say, hey, look, if you have that much speed, you know, you have the kinetic energy you've always wanted. Yeah. Um, kinetic energy is a simple formula. I'm not a physicist, but and I don't want to bore your listeners, but, I mean, it's it's speed squared times times weight uh, divided by a constant that somebody way smarter than me figured out. But the long story short is speed, speed, weight. Um, and when you've got all this speed, it's now time for weight. Um, and arrow manufacturers are actually making arrows lighter and lighter. Uh, so therefore, you, you need even more weight in your broadhead or, or front of center, up, up, up front uh, weight. So it, to, to switch to a 125 or even 150 grain broadhead, I know that's like blasphemy. It's like, oh my God, 150 grains are going to fall like a rock. Uh, they really don't. Um, and so many guys are going to like weighted inserts, brass inserts, all this stuff to add all this weight up front. And I keep telling them, you know, you're, you're kind of wasting your money if you because we sell broadheads at 125, 150 grain for the exact same price as 100 grain. So why put in brass inserts? Why not just use a, a heavier, tougher broadhead? Right. And we have several models that are solid steel ferrules with, you know, again our same hardened stainless steel tip and you know the hardened stainless steel blades and you know I I would never put a brass insert in you know a 50 grain brass insert if I could shoot a 150 grain broadhead instead. Um, so I, I think, especially with the higher speed crossbows, you're seeing some breakage even. Um, some guys are calling me saying, hey, I've been shooting Broadhead X, Y, Z, or whatever from this company or that company. And, um, you know, the, the Broadheads are breaking typically right at the at the insert where it goes in uh, to the arrow because it's it's a weak spot. It's another thing. I mean, an 832 thread has been the standard thread, oh my gosh, as long as I could ever remember. You know, Deep Six came out with a 632 thread, but again, that's that's even thinner yet. And so I think breakage, especially when you slam into something tough, you know, shoulder, a big rib on a big animal, obviously in between ribs on a deer-sized animal is not that big a deal. But, 
you start shooting really big animals uh, or, or, or making a mistake and, you know, driving up through and slamming into an opposite shoulder or something like that, you, I think the more, the more momentum and kind of, and kinetic energy that you have, um, the better. And that, that comes with, yes, the speed, but, but also increasing the weight. Does, and tons have been written about this. It's not, that's not just me talking. Right. I mean, there's tons and tons of articles about right. kinetic energy and momentum and penetration. And, you know, the bottom line is I, I think it's, it's a no brainer that a pass through shot is what we all want. Right. You want to pass through, through both lungs, boom, that's, that's a dead animal. I don't care what, you know, who you are or how far you're shot. Um, it's when they don't pass through or they get lodged somewhere and, you know, I've even had guys try to tell me that oh, the arrow's in it. When it's running. It's grinding around, or and it's, and it's and it's not. It's it's really closing off tissue and inhibiting the blood flow and making your track way harder than it needs to be. Right. Um, right. There, I'll get off that soapbox. <laughs> no, it's this a is good. Something I've been it's pushing for soapbox. myself. Yeah, I, I've been doing. I've I jumped up to 125 grain mm, three years ago when we first came out with a 125 grain drone with a solid steel ferrule and i i didn't believe it at first i i thought intuitively i could i could tell my bow was quieter and i thought that that nah, can't make that much difference yeah um so then i started flipping back and forth back and forth i went to 100 125 150 back to 100 and by golly the bow's quieter and, and i researched and figured out why i mean faster is noisier just simple as that and it, it, you need it's also a, a danger to your equipment if you have too, you know, too light of an arrow setup, too too light uh, of a broadhead on on the front of it. Um, you're just you're just asking for trouble and, and wearing down your equipment, or you know, heaven forbid, a, a real nasty explosion or something like that with your bow. Right. So, you you know, you keep talking about heavier broadheads. Do all wasp broadheads come in 125? Um, no. Um, all, a lot of them do, though. I mean, we have we have hammers in 125. We, of course, we have our mechanical jack hammers in 125. We have the, the, the drone in 125. Boss comes in 125. Um, off the top of my head. Um, and then we have a couple others in the 150 range. We have a sharpshooter uh, in a 150. A lot of our traditional guys really like that because it looks a lot more like a traditional broadhead. Right. Um, and then my, my personal favorite is a, we have one called Sledgehammer, which is that one I was talking about. It's a solid steel ferrule with, you know, all our stainless components hooked on. And, um, that thing's just a, a beast. I mean, that, that's for people who want to shoot grizzly bears and, you know, muskox and that sort of thing. Yeah. I, uh, I like that for some reason, like I find myself wanting to shoot a, basically a crowbar at an animal as that's just how I define it. But like with an ax on the front of it. And, um, uh, now that I, you know, do do you see yourself putting like the boss four blade in a, in a one fifty? Um, you know, it, it, the answer to that is always the same when people ask me if we're going to do this or do that is if, if, if the public wants it, we'll do it. You know, if I start getting enough requests for it, um, it, it's, it's certainly something we can do or, or certainly take a look at. Right. Um, what the, if Dan the, Johnson the, wants it? Well, Dan Johnson's a special <laughs> customer. He gets what he wants. I'll build, I'll tell you what, I'll build you a pack. How's that? Dan? Oh, oh yeah. I'll take it. I'll, we'll, we'll call it the Dan Johnson 125. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so in the in the mechanical, like, 
in the mechanical side of things, um, uh, a lot of, you know, I still, I still feel like people are trying to expand the cutting diameter, uh, even past that two inch mark, right. Getting, you know, trying to go to the two and a half or maybe even, even three, um, is, is that something you guys are, are trying to do like to make this basically cutting a trash can lid in half type, you know, type, uh, cutting diameter, or are you guys focused on other things when it comes to mechanicals? Yeah, I, I would definitely say the latter. I, I think it's, um, I think there's a, there's a point of diminishing returns. Um, an animal's, you know, we talked about getting through pass through shot An animal's ribs are only so far apart. And if you start getting into too big of a cutting diameter, especially with a three blade, um, even a two blade, I mean, your, your chances of going completely vertical between ribs is, is pretty slim. Um, but you'll, you're going to hit a minimum of two ribs going in and then you have to hit two more going out. Um, now that that's okay for a guy like me or you, um, who can pull a 70 pound bow. Um, but there's a lot of people out there that, that don't, they're shooting 50, 55, or, or maybe, uh, you know, young people just getting into the, the archery business. And it's, it's one of those things. I mean, I, I, rem- I remember when I was a kid, man, my first hunting knife was huge. I had, I had this, I couldn't even sit down. It, it stuck down so far on my leg. I could, I could, I had to have a giant <laughs> hunting knife and I didn't know why I just thought it was cool to have one. Um, and I see so many young people at, at consumer shows, they, they, you know, dads will bring the young kids, boys and girls, and they, they want to shoot a great big diameter broadhead. And I, I do my best to talk them out of it. I just think it's the wrong thing uh, for a lightweight bow. Um, so if you, if you just extend that, that thinking a little further, um, I, I don't, I don't appreciate a, a big broadhead for, for any speed of, on a bow. Um, I don't, I think if you, you know, an inch and three quarter, maybe two inch, I mean, you're really starting to push it. And again, now for deer hunting, you know, that's what most of us do. Um, but deer, deer are not a big animal in, in the big scheme of a big game. I mean, when you start yeah. getting into the elk and moose and African game, now you're talking big, big animals and it's, uh, it's just one of those things. I, I prefer a pass-through. I, I think a small diameter or somewhere, if anything from inch and an eighth to, to uh, uh, inch and a quarter or so is, is plenty big on a fixed-blade broadhead, and I don't, I don't think you need any more than that. Uh, you're just inviting flight issue problems and so forth, and, and a mechanical head's the same way. Yeah, they fly better. They're going to fly okay. Uh, but, boy, you really got to bust through a lot of bone if you start getting too big a diameter. So I'm, I'm just not a, I'm not a fan of it. We'll, you know, again, if the public wants it, we'll make it, but I prefer, I prefer to stick with simple. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you this. A lot of people look at the broadhead and this is kind of going back to an earlier conversation, but they look at the broadhead as the part of the arrow that cuts, right? Mm-hmm. And now here you are talking about, well, it's also a part of the arrow that, is used for balance and for weight. So mm-hmm. how, like, is that tough to educate people on, on the total package of an arrow and not just breaking it down by like the, the broadhead's job is to do this. Well, it's also, its job is also to do this as well. Yeah. I, I, I think we, you know, most people, when you do explain it to them, you know, they, you, you can see the question mark in their eye and they're, and they're saying, yeah, you know what? That makes sense. That makes total sense. Um, so yeah, you're right. It has to do both things. Um, we, we get an, an awful lot of suggestions and, and requests to, you know, why don't you do it this way? Why don't you do that? Um, but it, it has to, it has to cut 
but it, it also has to be tough enough to smash through bone when it has to, because very few of us make that perfect shot every time. Uh, certainly not me anymore. It just seems like it's getting worse as I get older. Um, but you know, if, if you if you make a mistake, you need a very very tough broadhead, um, not just a sharp one, but a tough and sharp one. And like you said, it has to be heavy enough to stabilize uh, the arrow and and uh, and get get the flight that you're that you need out of it, or else you're not going to have accuracy. So you know, all these things tie together. And like I, you know, I don't want to make it so complicated that it bores the average listener. But you know, let's face it: the, the Indians cut a piece of willow stick and, and strapped a stone, a sharp stone, on the end of it, and killed buffalo. Um, they didn't know what the weight of their arrow was or any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, but but they made it work. So I I think you know a lot of times we we can overthink this stuff. But yet each component, and there's there's probably more than a dozen components that go into what's the perfect setup, what's the perfect front of center FOC weight, what's the perfect weight of the broad, what's the perfect arrow spine, you know, we can we can think this stuff until we're dizzy. Um, and the bottom line is, put it where it's supposed to, and, and that's really what you need to do. Um, I think target shooters are far, far more interested in speed um, because of, uh, you know, flatter trajectory, not not flat, but flatter than than uh, than less speed. I mean, the faster it's going to go, the flatter it's going to it's going to be, and the, the less room for error. Um, but most target shooters, I don't know anybody that's target shooting a seventy pound bow. Yeah, um, they're not interested in getting through the target. They're interested in getting to the target. Uh, so penetration is not a factor, and they can shoot lightweight, so they're steadier, and so on and so forth. But yeah, it, it has to have all three of those components. It, ha- it has to be sharp. It has to be tough, uh, and it has to guide the arrow in the way that it's supposed to. Yeah. Now I'm looking here on the website and how, how old is wasp? How many years have they been making broadheads? 1971 um, is when this, when the company started um, a gentleman by the name of Richard Molesky. um, And from what I've been told, and there's there's not like there's, there's big historical records on this stuff, but um, he, he had come out with the first commercially available replaceable blade broadhead, um, and in those days, believe it or not, he used and, and if, you, if there's any old timers out there listening to this, um, Schick injector blades from an actual Schick razor that you used on your face, um, and they came in a little plastic box. Unfortunately, I remember them, and, and you slide one out of time out, and they had a little notch in it, and he fed that notch around a little coil around the. Uh, the diameter, the middle of the of the ferrule, and and they were called cam locks that, uh, that locked them into place. And I still, to this day, I'll, I'll have four or five times a year, uh, some guy uh, will come up to me and say, "Boy, I wish I had some more cam locks," you know. And it was, I can't imagine that a blade thin enough to shave your face with was held up very well. But guys swore by it. Huh. So he did all that, and and believe it or not, as as the story goes, and it's hard to verify any of this stuff, but he never patented replaceable blade broadheads. Um, so it, he probably could have had he, had he wanted to. Um, and similarly, when he came out with the, with the very first commercially available mechanical head was the jackhammer uh, in a slightly different form than we have today. But um, he never bothered to, to patent any of that stuff. Um, he just was interested in giving the public the best possible product he could, and um, he was a true innovator. So the company in 1971, jackhammer in 91. 
the stainless smart tip, the, the hardened stainless steel trocar tip that we're, we're so well known for. I don't know exactly when that came out, but probably around the same time frame in the, in the early to mid-90s. That's awesome. So the, the company's coming up on 50 years. Yeah, exactly. Wow, that's crazy. Um, yeah. And it's funny, one of the very first broadheads that I ever used was the Wasp Jackhammer. And uh, the old the old logo of the uh, the Wasp. Now, was he, is the old logo of the Wasp, is he wearing boxing gloves or not? Yeah, he might. Yeah, I think it was, as a matter of fact. I, and it actually wasn't, I don't think it was a wasp at all. It looks more like a honeybee. Yeah, me, a but. bee, yeah. Yeah. Uh, back when they were come, they'd come in some of this bright yellow package. and uh, Yeah, yellow and blue. Yep, and I remember uh, th- those were my first mechanical broadheads, and I killed a lot of deer with, uh, yeah. with those jackhammers, man. So now another thing real quick I, I, I personally like uh, about wasp is the – Built in America from 100% American-made parts. Is that is that still accurate? That is still accurate. Not, not for the Havilon. Not for the Havilon. Um, okay. It, it was it was one of those things where, and I'll I'll be honest with you, it's it's continued to be year after year a greater and greater struggle for us to maintain that made in America emblem, and I, yeah. I wish it weren't so. Um, but there are very very few uh, blade manufacturers left in the U.S. Uh, one of the biggest um, just stopped making uh, broadheads for the archery industry, or making blades, I mean, for archery industry. Uh, they got bought out by Stanley Black & Decker, and um, Stanley Black & Decker is not interested in being in the broadhead business. They they make, you know, exacto knives and, right. and uh, you know, that, that sort of thing, but box-cutting knives and so forth. But uh, they didn't have room for um, the, the broadhead business, uh, and they're, told they're, they're not going to do that anymore. So I, I still have about mm, two years worth of made in America blades. Um, and I, I have another manufacturer, um, that I think is going to work out for us. And, uh, we haven't closed the, the finished the ink drying on that deal, but, yeah. um, I believe we're going to be able to maintain that made in America emblem for uh, a bit while longer, but yeah, Tougher and tougher to do and maintain the margins that the dealers want to have yeah. because it's it's so much more expensive um, to operate in the U.S. Uh, than it is abroad. So well, it's it, a simple fact. Yeah, you're. I mean, the fact that you're still fighting for that and that's still your goal is kudos to you because a lot of people would see the numbers and be like, "Screw it, we're going to China." You know what I mean? And y'all, the, I do. Yeah, and the fact that you're fighting for this, I think, is uh, big. I know it is. It's big for me, but it's big for uh, the the rest of the, you know, the rest of listeners as well, or, or people who appreciate made in American products. Well, I, I'll tell you, Dan. The, the, the people that own this business, and and I know a, a lot of listeners are probably going to, they probably think in their mind that Wasp Archery must be this giant conglomerate of a company in a, you know, hundred thousand square foot manufacturing facility. That's just not the case. This yeah. is a mom and pop operation. I mean, we this is a family owned business. Um, Guy and Mickey Weaver purchased this business um, when when the when the previous owner Richard Molesky, who I mentioned, passed away. Um, they purchased the business, and so it, it's Guy and Mickey, and their son Zach, um, and Matt, who helps assemble things in spare. I'm not. I say spare time like at home watching television. Sometimes he helps assemble broadheads, uh, and me, who uh, I'm not really a family member, but I'm. I feel like I am. I mean, I've been with these guys 
I mean, Guy and I have known each other since we were like 14 or something like that. Um, and then there's a few people in the factory, and that's it. I mean, it, it's not like we employ 100 people or anything. It's a, it's a pretty small operation. And so we pride ourselves in, in being made in America. And, you know, this, this is obviously anybody who's in business is, is in business to make money. I mean, that's, that's just kind of a capitalist way of doing things. But yep. uh, at the same time, uh, it's, there's, there's not enough room in this business to become millionaires making broadheads. You know, it's, right. it doesn't work that way. Um, so we're, we're enjoying it. We enjoy talking to people like you. We enjoy going to the shows and, and meeting dealers and so on and so forth. And, and knowing that, I mean, nothing makes me happier. And then a guy sends me a picture of a, of a buck that he killed and he, he used a wasp broadhead to do it. And he's so pleased because the, the broadhead looks just like, the, you know, after I shot it, it looks just like before I shot it. And, um, nothing makes me happier to know that we supply a, a top quality product and, and people are, are happy with the results that they get. Absolutely. That's awesome. All right. Now it's time for you to bring out your inner salesman. And I want you to tell the listeners uh, out there who may not be shooting wasp why they should try to shoot wasp. Well, I, I probably touched on, on most of these things already, but what, what we sell is toughness. Okay. We sell that sharp, tough broadhead. As I said before, there's lots of companies that make broadheads and some of them are very good and some of them are not very good. Um, we feel, as a, from a mechanical design standpoint, I can't imagine that anybody could make a broadhead that's tougher. Our hardened stainless trocar tip in perfect alignment with the blades ensures maximum penetration. That's a proven fact. You don't have to believe me. You can you know, look it up. I mean, it's it's going to be one of the... We have, a, we have a YouTube video out there. It's called Archery Steel Deer, um, where we shoot uh, competitor broadheads into a solid steel. It's actually a plinking target for, for long-range rifle shooters. Um, I think it's quarter-inch thick plate steel, um, cut out to look like a deer. But long story short, we shoot we shoot different competitors' broadheads into into that steel deer and watch them explode. Um, and you you can see it on the video. We shoot a wasp broadhead into that steel deer and it literally sticks into the steel. That's how tough that head is. Now, I, I get this all the time. People say, "Well, if I ever find a steel deer to shoot, I'll you know I'll buy your broadhead." <laughs> But you know you, you got to take that leap and understand that if you, if you can if you can shoot steel and and not break the broadhead, uh, you can certainly penetrate the bone on a, on a shoulder of a deer if you have to or or if you if, if it inadvertently happens. Um, we we've made the broadhead so tough uh, that when we do those kind of tests, either on on that steel or we've done it with uh, bulletproof glass as well, it literally drives the broadhead and the insert back through the arrow and and destroys the arrow shaft itself um and that that never happens with other broadheads that we test so granted you hit the sweet spot you could probably sharpen a number two pencil and duct tape it to the end of your arrow and 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 get the penetration you need but if um if you want a broadhead it's going to stand up and, and do what it's supposed to do when you have to take that angle shot, you know, quartering away or something, and drive it up through into the far shoulder and so on and so forth, that that's when you want a a, a tough broadhead, and we we think Wasp delivers on on that in in every single case. Absolutely, hey man, and I tell you what, I'm a firm believer of confidence in my equipment, and if I have confidence in my equipment, um, I'm going to stick with that. And this year. Oh man, with with the shot that I took and got on my buck, um, I'm glad I had a badass broadhead on the front of my arrow and a heavier arrow that, you know, basically it was an arrow set up for elk hunting and I took a hard quartering away shot 
and I needed all the penetration that I could have got, and uh, I got it. And uh, I'm, I'm, I personally am really pleased. That's see, that's all. That's why I do this, Dan, for yeah. you. I do this for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Well, I tell you what, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to uh, hop on the podcast and chat with us, talk about the Havilon and uh, all the cool things about Wasp. Um, so how long do you need until I get that 150 Boss 4-Blade? You know what? I'm going to have to. I, it's, it's a shame you didn't ask me a week ago. I, just, I, was, up, I was up in Connecticut at our factory just uh, for a couple of days this week, and uh, I maybe could have... Uh, Maybe could have machined a couple out for you, but let me let me just see what I can do. <laughs> just see, we'll see if we'll see if it catches fire. All right, all right, <laughs> sounds good. All right, man, I really appreciate it. All right, Dan, thanks for the call, bud. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Another podcast in the books. Huge shout out to Fred for hopping on and chatting with me about the new Havilon. Go check it out, wasparchery.com. You know. I don't talk about it enough, but if you have kids, man, get them outside. And, uh, you know, if you're if you're listening to this podcast, it's probably not a problem for you. Um, but it's also important that maybe we see one of your children's friends or a neighbor kid or someone who may, may, may not be experiencing the outdoors. You know, maybe they just go inside. Maybe they play outside a little bit. Take them on a hike. Take them fishing. Take them you know, looking at leaves and birds and something because the more people that we can get on our side, the better in the long run. And that's just a quick thought that I had. Uh, so, you know, whatever. <laughs> Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast, Exodus, Ozonics, Wasp, Lone Wolf, Deer Lab, Prime, Ripcord, and Hunter Safety System. Guys, please go out and support those companies. Also, make sure you are subscribed to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. All you have to do, wherever you download your podcast, search Nine Finger Chronicles, and it will pop up multiple places. Um, or you could get all the content and search Sportsman's Nation. We have the big game feed. We have the whitetail feed. We have podcasts about fishing. We have podcasts about bear hunting. We have podcasts about just about everything, right? Uh, and if you're interesting and you feel that you could be a podcast of a unique or a podcast host to a unique podcast idea, uh, I'm really looking for more fishing content. I'm really looking for more waterfowl content. If you can do that, you know what? Hit me up. I'd love to chat with you. Other than that, I think we're good to go. I hope everybody has a great week. And if you're going to be in a tree, please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good day.